0: Welcome to Better Money, a show that points an x-ray at folks driving capital and driving change. People working for better money. I'm Noelle Brown, and I come from the for-profit world.
1: I'm Jefferson Smith, and I come from the non-profit world.
0: We're joined today by Rakiah Adams, an athlete turned law student, lawyer turned money manager. Now, most days, she'll be found at Meyer Memorial Trust as the chief investment officer.
1: I want to get to the heart of the matter, at least one of the hearts of the matter. In a recent keynote, you said, We have recreated the economic structure of slavery without the moral stain of actually owning people. Explain that.
2: I meant exactly those words. We have recreated the economic benefits of the slave economy without having to own people. We, you can exploit labor, you can underhouse people, you can destabilize families to the transfer of wealth from one group to another. You can underpay women historically, structurally, permanently for equal work. And essentially what we're doing is taking wealth away from some groups and delivering it to one to another group, right, to the same group, in fact. And so we're seeing, um, that economic wealth transfer happened at a massive, massive scale. just We're just recreating the economy that was there when we started in this country.
1: What do we do about it? I know that's a ridiculously broad question. You can Mm -hmm. choose only the first hundred things or the first three.
2: So this is a strange thing to say as the village spinster. I don't have children, and I'm just a nosy middle-aged lady who runs around town bossing people around. But the way that I see it, especially in Oregon, what we're doing is creating an education system that is educating some people for third world conditions and to work for the newcomers who will come here to drive our economy in the next 100 years. And so the only way out of that is to educate people pre-K through college, to fully educate them, to commit our economy to educating people, to to create a bias for the future in all of our budgeting and decision-making um, that that's where I would start. There are a lot of things we have to do. Um, the second thing I would do is to really discourage us from thinking about housing as, as an equity investment. Right now, when people invest in housing and they need double-digit returns, the consequence of that is that they're extracting as much from renters as possible. And the, the, the net effect of that is a wealth transfer. I think we need to think about housing investing as, as more like a bond than an equity.
1: And how do you give it as much security as bonds?
2: Well, there are two ways. We would love a municipal sponsor to provide cash flow guarantees to the bondholders. That would be ideal. In that scenario, a, a city government or metro wouldn't have to actually put out the cash for, for the construction, but they could guarantee cash flow below a certain amount to mm-hmm. ensure that the bondholders have relatively low risk. I mean, that would be the ideal mm-hmm. situation, a partnership between private capital and... Municipal governments.
0: It's like co-signing on your mortgage mm-hmm. as a first-time home homebuyer. You get someone yeah. to help back you up, but you're really the one putting the
2: down. Right. Mm-hmm. I think we need to do that at a scalable level, though. The rub in the Northwest Territories is that we like to focus on small projects that are idiosyncratic and unique. The reality is for housing, we need a scalable, massive solution, right? We need a billion-dollar REIT backed by a half-billion-dollar guarantee. So I just think we have to really face the scale issue.
1: All right. How did you get here?
2: So um, I went to law school because I didn't want to be poor. I didn't necessarily want to be a law- lawyer. And in law school, I figured I'd, if, if I practiced, I would be a deal lawyer, not a, not like a courtroom lawyer or a regulatory lawyer. So after I, after I graduated, I, I became a, an M&A lawyer at Skadden Arps. I, I tell people the movie The Firm, I worked there, and I was one of those lawyers. Um, but ultimately, my temperament is not an advisory temperament. I'm bossy, and I have a point of view, and I felt that just in executing deals, I my my skills, my opinions, my instincts were more business oriented, less advisory, and so I had a conversation with my mom as it helped support um, myself and my family for a number of years, and decided that I wanted to do what I wanted to do, and if Black women, Black people, and women had fought for this moment, I wasn't going to squander it. You know, doing something that wasn't right for me. So I went back to business school. When I graduated from business school, even though I'd been an M&A lawyer for a lot of the largest private equity firms in the country and done deals for large corporations, I thought I'd be able to get a job as a principal. I didn't intend to go into investment management. I couldn't get a job. Mm. I graduated. I did well at Stanford Business School. Did well at Stanford Law School. And I could not get a freaking job. So the rub was that the very people that I was good enough for as a lawyer did not want someone like me as a principal. And so I had to pivot. And the pivot was to a hedge fund in New York that needed someone who could do the deal negotiation and the math. And I just happened to be the unicorn they were looking for.
1: Maybe I'm asking a dumb question or maybe an obvious one. But when you when you saw that, where you were sought after law student, had a harder time as finding a job as a principal, what did you chalk that up to? What, who were they hiring, and did you notice any pattern in who they weren't hiring?
2: Race and gender.
0: So the difference was you can look at our deals, but you can't run our money.
2: You can run the deals, but the wealth won't accrue, accrue to you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or we don't want your for, your voice to be the authority. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's something deeply unsettling about certain voices having control of capital. Mm-hmm. Over time what I see when people are really uncomfortable with me it's that black people and black women in particular have been the objects of our economy, right? Our labor, our consumer habits, our bodies. And to hear my voice as an authority as the subject, not the object, is actually kind of it's jarring to people. And I've learned to Not back off of that, but I think at that time I just hit a filter, and the filter was filtering people like me out. So then, you know,
0: if there was a young Rakaya listening to you right now, and she just finished top of her class, Stanford MBA, what advice would you give her?
2: Keep going. Keep going, because the hustle in this game is, one, they don't have to take it from you if you abandon it, Mm -hmm. and two, the people who just get back up are the ones ultimately who mm-hmm. who get ahead. Mm-hmm. And and I think people get wounded or they're hurt and they think that's the end and it's mm-hmm. not. They just keep limping along. Right? Put on some lip gloss and yeah. buy a pair of high heels and just like do it. Keep going.
1: I want to pivot to your gig. How do you apply the values of the foundation or maybe personal values mm-hmm. to investment decisions? With uh, how much money are you managing and and how do you you know it's the larger pool of money than is the grant capital, right? the right. the foundation gives away some money and then invests a lot of money. Right. Uh, how do you overlap those values? A lot
2: of people think foundations are about grant making. they're not their purpose is philanthropy, but the business is investing. So the first thing is our largest impact by far is how we manage our money, not how we give it away. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. The other thing is when you get to billion dollar pools of capital, you're not allocating dollars. It's not money anymore. Mm -hmm. At that point, it's like energy. And I can direct energy at things and ideas and opportunities that matter. Mm -hmm. Right. So we might put in a hundred million dollars. But if people who are watching me and see our top level performance want to replicate our performance, then they replicate what we invest in. They they uh, mimic our values, and so what? What I'm really trying to do is shine light on ideas and concepts that matter to debunk some of the most entrenched ideas in mm-hmm. investing. Um, to leave a bunch of people in my dust, more more than to kick dirt in their eyes, more to have people replicate what we're doing because mm-hmm. they want to be excellent, not necessarily because they share the values. So mm-hmm. here's an example: um, when I started Meyer, our environmental program officers really lobby me hard to sell our oil position. So most por- portfolios hold oil in the commodities portfolio, and commodities are options mm-hmm. or futures. They're not the actual oil, right? So if you if you own oil futures, our environmental staff is like, are, can we with integrity say that we're trying to mitigate these environmental issues if you're investing in oil, you know, an oil sands? And you make
1: more if the price goes up in the future.
2: Right. <laughs> so they lobby me, and I, I tried to ignore them. To be honest, I, I wasn't really wanting to deal with it. But on a run through Forest Park, I could hear the water trickling through the water table, and I could smell the water in the air. And I thought, if I can't if I can't figure out a way to invest in clean water from a place like this, then I don't know who the heck can. So four years ago, they really pushed me to learn clean water investing better. And that single trade, the arbitrage between oil investing and clean water mm-hmm. from 2014 and today has probably been the most successful investment that I've made. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the values; it's the combination of what kinds of strengths we have here socially, mm-hmm. and experts that I can draw on for information and ideas, plus the values, right? And then you know, you know, using your ovaries, your ovaries to actually do it, right? Mm-hmm. It's one thing to know that you need to do it; it's another thing to have the nerve to risk capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and stick with it and stick with it because mm-hmm. it may you may be early mm-hmm. right i was I wasn't sure when we made that trade.
0: That's the hardest part. i I love hearing you talk about um really leading the charge, you mm-hmm. know and 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 trying and having faith in being that model for others. Mm-hmm. but it can be lonely out front. Mm-hmm. And so how do you uh, find that strength to encourage your team mm-hmm.
2: and your stakeholders? To stick with it, keep the faith. A couple things. I don't think I have a choice about leading from the front. So being so different, um, I don't know if I'm in the front, but I'm somewhere else all the time. Mm-hmm. So in terms of diversity, there are there, I think there are three African American CIOs at major endowments in the country. The three of us. Mm-hmm. The other one of the others is in Seattle. So from the start. Mm-hmm. You sort of, you're already a unicorn. So if that's the case, if people are going to watch, then I, I want it to be spectacular. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to try to mimic the other people because I actually can't do that from, from a mm-hmm. physical or social perspective. So there's that. The upside of being different, though, is that I get a lot more information. Mm-hmm. So people tip me in a way that... More conventional thinkers don't get tipped, or I get information that other people don't get. So don't. It, it's a it, the advantage. There is as many advantages as there are disadvantages in it. So I don't know that I would think of myself as brave. I just am, like just, Well, you're receptive though. I mean, to your
0: point, yeah. if someone's giving you information, it's because they know you're receptive to it, and mm-hmm. you're open, and you're not gonna close down any idea that comes.
2: You're going you're gonna to listen. Definitely going to listen, and I also think I bring my whole self to the work. Mm-hmm. So one area that I'm wrestling with right now is we, our most successful venture investment has mm-hmm. been in um, pharmaceutical research, so mm-hmm. molecules and um, specific therapies. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that experimentation happens in places that exploit people of color as mm-hmm. human subjects. So right now there's a lot of research happening on how to handle um, bleeding out, so gunshot victims mm. and um, other major tissue tears that require the the draining of blood, the healing of, uh, sewing up of tissue, and then the replacement of blood. And the subjects for that are often in urban centers, African-American men who have been shot. There's a long article in the New Yorker about this in Baltimore. And the human subject component of that mm. really is something I wrestle with, mm. like, are we doing the right thing here? Mm. Um, we fund molecule development and pain management and that's a fancy way of talking about opioids. Mm. And so there, there's a, this complexity to the, right. to the wealth building that um, at this point in my career I don't have answers for except for that I'm willing to be open about it mm-hmm. whereas I don't think in the past people would have been as open mm-hmm. about it. I, the other aspect I think that keeps me flexible is that this is a small state. Mm-hmm. If if I'm clubbing baby seals and doing horrible things in investment portfolios, people are going to know who I am, mm-hmm. right? And my mom knows about some of the investments we make at the Oregon Investment Council. She, she talks about factories being closed. She has opinions about Toys R Us and our investment in KKR. So, I'm constantly engaging with people Mm -hmm. and not hiding from them. I'm not in some ivory tower in New York, 3,000 miles away from Mm -hmm. the Capitol. It's here, and Mm -hmm. the people are here. Fred Meyer's legacy is here. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can't with integrity avoid engaging on these subjects.
0: You've done so much um, in in your history, and there's so much that you could hang your hat on. But what are you most proudest
2: of? Sometimes I... I'm shocked that I sit a top of a hundred billion dollars. Like, it's
1: almost like swimming it. Or is that like? <laughs> well, I again,
2: remember, I don't think of it as money. It more an, as the energy. Duck of energy. <laughs> um. I'm. I'm proud that I haven't backed away from the moment. Mm-hmm. Um. I. I. My biggest anxiety is that I. That I squander it. That. I become selfish and focus on my own personal benefit or that in the moment that I really need to be brave that I don't have the ovaries for it I'm I'm worried about that Um, but I'm proud that this moment came that for hundreds and hundreds of years our ancestors and women have been tumbling toward this moment of moving from objects to subjects and that we like we can step into it Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. not back down it's I'm most proud of that. You have no track record for that, though.
0: (laughs) You have no track record for for all of a sudden becoming this selfish individual who wants to, you know, kind of reap the benefit of this current situation or, you know, shy away from an opportunity. So why would you begin now?
2: I think (laughs) that's true. But I think the struggle is at this moment, do I set myself and my family up for generations or do I try to nudge this bigger thing? in a different direction like to try to just create the slightest inflection Mm -hmm.
1: help us define success how do you do it
2: gosh that's a hard question yeah uh, yeah, I, i wouldn't say that i feel successful i do feel like i have agency that people institutions the world is accountable to me i feel that and to the to the degree that that's success, then I I hold that comfortably. But in like professional success, I don't don't really, I don't know that I have a measure for it yet. Um, Integrity would be really important to me. Um, Making sure that I live up to my mother and my grandmother and my great-grandmother's highest aspirations. That my hometown is proud of me. That I take care of this vessel that God has given my spirit that I'm healthy. Oh, good things. Yeah. You mentioned agency,
0: and you've also mentioned the new slave economy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So how is agency different
2: than freedom? Gosh, yes. So our bodies are free, mm-hmm. theoretically, but, but maybe not in t- like entirely. But f- feeling this is a distinction I find between our generation and our parents. And this is across race, and sometimes women in particular demonstrate this. I don't think 50 or 60 years ago women felt like, especially black women, felt like institutions like a city government or a bank would be accountable to them. Mm -hmm. So I do feel like both my body is free, that I have control over the wealth that I generate from my creative labor, my physical labor, And then in interfacing with institutions that that that, that labor and wealth have to flow through, I believe I have command over them. Mm -hmm. So that is, I think, a big difference. Mm -hmm. It's not just that my body is free or that I can live what appears to be a free life, but that I can influence Mm -hmm. institutions in ways that matter Mm -hmm. to people other than just me. Mm -hmm. Um, I also feel like, I have command not just of institutions and places, but space, that I hear some comments about the displacement of the African-American community here, and people say, oh, if we've been so bad to you, why don't you just leave? And I have this ownership. Like a part of the agency is that, no, this this place, this soil, this history. We belong. We belong here, mm-hmm. right? We're not going anywhere. Right. And to this point in history, African-American history has been really itinerant where people were taken, you know, and landed in North America and then sold and moved around. And then, you know, after they became free, we're like, I don't know about this. I think we're going to migrate north. And they make it to northern cities and they get displaced and labor, you know, labor dynamics cause all these problems. People have been on the move mm-hmm. for 600 years years. Mm-hmm. And for the first generation, we're able to we're the first generation to say, I'm not fucking going anywhere. Man,
0: that's my home. This that's, is my home. This is my home.
2: Right? Mm-hmm. These trees, this water system, this education system, the polluted rivers, all of it belongs to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's ours. Yep. We're yeah, not going anywhere. I ain't going nowhere.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so good. Any epic fail moments or just all victories plus modesty?
2: No, oh my god, no. Um so I I tell young people there are failures of, of judgment that you can get over. Um, there are failures you, you have because you don't have information, and you can get over that. But where you really have to focus is when you have failures of character. And I think in my adult life, I have had some failures of character wow. that I have to work to. So what do you see as a next milestone for you? Next milestone? Well... We had a wonderful year of performance in 2017. I haven't seen the full year of 2018 yet, but it will come out soon. Um, So in terms of work on the performance, to the extent that we string together many years of exceptional performance, and I think people will just copy what we're doing, Mm -hmm. and they'll see the numbers. So that is Mm -hmm. important to me. Um, I have a few people on my team who are amazing. Um, When I joined Mired, there were two trustees in particular who I'm pretty sure I was their pick Uh for my job. Orcelia Forbes. Did you ever know Orcelia Forbes? And George Puentes, who was a business person from Salem. And when I got the job, they they basically said to me, look, we don't want you to aspire to stay here. We want you to use this platform to do something bigger, something else. Orcelia passed away a year and a half ago, and George retired from our board. But I would say that for them, I, I certainly want to I want to meet their expectation Mm -hmm. for doing something bigger and taking the opportunity and opening the doors for the people who are behind me. So I have some fantastic people on my team. So I'd say another milestone will be getting them up to the next level of excellence so that if I get hit by a bus, they can run things. Um, The next milestone for me is getting comfortable using my voice. I squirm a little bit right now with it. (laughs) I do. I'm not comfortable with... Um, With what audience? What I wanted two years ago was to be a well-regarded middle-aged lady. I just wanted to be liked. But in the last two years, working on the Albina Vision work and sharing the OIC...
1: Oregon Investment Council, yes?
2: Yes. um, I've hit the wall of getting past wanting people to like me. Mm. And there are some things that I want to get done, even if they don't like me for mm-hmm. it. And that is still uncomfortable for me, that that women are so socialized yeah. to to be liked and to, like, not bring down the hammer on people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not quite there yet. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's not that I doubt myself. It's that I just don't I don't want people to not like me I, I guess in some mm-hmm. ways I don't want to be disinvited from the privileged cookout mm. um I don't want I wrestle with using my voice in um, rebuke and in anger mm. so for the emotional range that I can occupy as a black woman in response to things that are challenging is I can either be earnest informed or funny mm. but I haven't been able to make the jump to being able to be authoritative or angry Mm. and so sort of wrestling with that Mm. um and then so there's a, a group of investors who want to bring baseball to portland and they wanted to bring it to a community that we're trying to revive that was the historic black community and in um that conversation i was one of the first people to publicly say no i don't want that and i didn't think anyone was listening really and then it shows up in the newspaper and then all of these men are hiding behind my skirt and my afro because I came out and said, no, I don't want it. So nobody else really needed to say anything. And, and I was a little bit taken aback that anybody was listening or would care. And so that was a a moment of like, you know, why is this news? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. So what a bossy middle aged lady said, this is a <laughs> stupid idea. Um, so that was a moment of being uncomfortable, hmm. um, being out in the front and perplexed. Hmm by it but um...
0: well what's interesting is that it sounds as though you have opinions mm-hmm. and people are deciding which ones they want to put in the headlines perhaps it's, it's putting those opinions you know directing that and saying mm-hmm. this is my message and I'm, I'm not saying you don't already do that but doing that voice work doing that that this is what i stand for not just on my team but in a public sphere
2: yeah that's really unnerving it, right to have a coherent strategy mm-hmm. and then i think the next step will be for people and this is what has been hitting me recently is them asking well what are you like what are you trying to get to like right. what's your objective with it um so I'm sort of working through mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Um, also with changes in media the way that other cios and People with opinions go directly to the, you know, the people mm-hmm. through Twitter and others, uh, other platforms. I'm not quite there yet and comfortable mm-hmm. with exposing so much of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's Working getting, progress. yeah, getting comfortable with the voice.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah. I think it's totally reasonable for when people say when when you we say something very passionate about a certain subject, and all of a sudden it's a revelation for people. Mm-hmm. And it, and it resonates with them. And then they look to you for what else, what other wisdom can you give us, right? And it, it feels like a lot of responsibility. But I think it's equally as important to say, no, this is just an idea I have. And this is the job I do. And any person in any job can have these moments if they truly think about our lives and the things we want for ourselves. You know, I I, I heard it on the way in. Someone said, Rekha, when are you going to run for president? Yeah. And, Laughable. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the reason is, is that, you know, you
2: have something to say that people really want to hear and they want that direction. I think, though, there's a combination of a person and then a moment. Yeah. And I also feel like in this moment, the, the this is going to sound really academic, but people hate it when I say this word, but the orthogonal part of the square mm-hmm. from like mm-hmm. crazy MAGA dudes is like black woman wisdom. And there's a, I, f- I feel like people want a kind of healing and um, something else from me that is interesting, that's unique to this moment.
0: Uh, we do a rapid round with our guests. Okay. So our questions. Let's begin. A piece of advice you got that still inspires you.
2: Acquire power and then use it.
1: A book that needs to be on our bookshelves.
2: The Entrepreneurial State. A quote you try to live by. We may have come on different ships, but we're in the same boat now.
1: Martin Luther King. Something you just learned that surprised you.
2: New York City gets more inches of rain per year than Portland. And something about you that few people know. I was a DJ in college And I had an R&B show in the middle of the night on Tuesdays.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us on Better Money. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Rukai.